Bethany. And I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. Hooray! Take two. We're having a little technical difficulty here, but I think we got it sorted now. Hooray! Less technical difficulty than we have sometimes had, so, you know, I'm calling it a win. Well, it's very early to make that declaration, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, So, we're back after a few weeks, and we're talking about the movie Doubt this week, which I had not seen in years. I don't know if you had watched it since we did this. You may have watched it with some people. I don't think I had watched it since we did the group. Um, yeah, no, I believe according to Letterboxd, the last time I watched it was in, I was with Eric in the first year of my relationship with Eric. So we've now been together 10 years. So <laughs> it's been nine years about since I watched it. Um, and a lot has changed in nine years, but spoilers the fact that this is a fucking fantastic movie has not so that's really nice yeah no it uh it (laughs) i i definitely have some different feelings about it than i did when i saw it years and years ago but it has only gotten better i think um so this movie made a huge splash when it came out a bunch of oscar nominations i think it got uh four acting nominations and uh best picture director all of that um but I feel like it is not a very talked about movie anymore, which seems a little odd because it's only become more relevant as time has gone on. Um, but it does seem like people will bring it up some, you know, basically just to talk about the performances, which is not unreasonable because there's, there's some, some all timers in here. Um, but I do think the movie itself has been kind of unfairly uh, forgotten a little bit, maybe. I completely agree. I um the performances are incredible and I think that it was um despite how much it hurts my heart to see Philip Seymour Hoffman and to think about how relatively young we lost him. Um but like him and Meryl Streep are just like dynamite explosive. Viola Davis absolutely deserved her Oscar nom for her like 8 minutes of screen time or whatever. Like her and Amy Adams both got nominated for Best Supporting Actress for this, if I remember correctly. And it's one of those things, like, Amy Adams is so good in this movie. Like, she's so good. And any other time, would be like, yeah, obviously she should have won. But she was up against Viola Davis in this movie, which is just very unfortunate for her. It didn't work out. Absolutely. And, <clears throat> um, and I mean, you know, there are a few other performances, but those are really, like, the bulk of the movie. Um and I think, you know, when I watched this, this would have been, this would have been before, I mean, certainly when I first watched it, I, I think I would have probably associated a lot of this with like Catholic churches. That's, you know, that's what happens in Catholic churches. Uh, and uh, now I, I still think that that's what happens in Catholic churches, but I don't think that's just what that happens in just Catholic churches. <laughs> So, yeah, I guess we should... I mean, the the basic plot of the movie is that it's... What is it? It's the late 60s, I guess. It's a year after the Kennedy assassination, which was, what, 68? Yeah, I think, I think. so. Um, so, it, so it's set in this Catholic parish in Boston, I think. Um, and we have uh, Meryl Streep as the uh, the head nun and the principal of the school at the church, and we have Philip Seymour Hoffman as the pastor of the church and the school, and then Amy Adams as a uh, a younger a younger nun, and 
I mean, the, the there's a lo- there's a lot going on, but the the short version is that Meryl Streep's character, Sister Aloysius, I believe, is, becomes convinced that uh, that the priest is is uh, coming on to the students, um, and, particularly the boy students, right? Yeah, uh, and tries to to unmask him, I guess. Um, which th- there's there's there would be like a really interesting and compelling story to be had just in like you know these two nuns in the 60s catholic church trying to to overcome this like predatory priest or whatever but this movie takes it a step further than that where you don't you don't really know you know hence the 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 theme of the whole movie and the title of the movie is you don't you don't really know what has happened and you know you're kind of left to draw your own conclusions to some degree um and it's <sighs> it's i was thinking about this earlier i think last episode i i mentioned i had watched mission impossible 3 and talked about it as as philip seymour hoffman's only only ever villain performance and i guess that may not be true depending on how you read this movie <laughs> which we'll have to i don't should we just start with that like cuz i'm curious to hear what how you read it now uh, yeah, let, let's just start there because I, I feel like that that kind of informs the rest of the discussion, and we're going to have to be talking around it the whole time if we want to like save that for the end. You know? <clears throat> also, Philip Seymour Hoffman is a creeper in uh, Happiness. Uh, Todd Salons's. Oh, I never saw that one. He's like a creeper who's making gross pervy phone calls and stuff. So he has been like, but like, yeah. Anyway, um, well, I mean, in in like in Punch Drunk Love, his character is a jerk. You know, but he's not like a villain villain, right? Like he's not like an evil person. <laughs> yeah. So when I first watched this movie, and I watched it multiple times after it came out, I was in love with this movie. I think this for me was probably a pretty early, so it came out like 15 years ago. I think this was probably pretty early again in terms of like my like travels and like journey with film and just really like being blown out of the water by these like by acting (laughs) and like um and but i i loved philip seymour hoffman i've always loved philip seymour hoffman and um when i first watched this movie i was convinced that he hadn't that he hadn't done it and to be to give a little bit of context the the movie is based on a play by john patrick shanley who also wrote the screenplay and directed the movie um and reportedly he tells each of the main three actors when they do the play or when they did the movie a different thing about whether or not father flynn did the did the thing he tells them a different thing in advance to like shift their motivations or whatever um and so i was really convinced when we when I watched this movie when I was younger, that Father Flynn had not done it um, for a lot of reasons. And even at the time, I think I would have said, I don't know if this is because I really love Philip Seymour Hoffman or... <laughs> that is such a part of it, right? Like, it's just, it's hard to think of him in those terms and it's hard not to believe him when he says something, which obviously is, you know, that's that's a great actor. But it's, yeah, it's true. It's not just a great actor. It's a great reflection of a groomer. And this is the thing is that like watching it now with the knowledge base I have now, if we're just talking about like the core, like, did he do it or did he not? Um, I still don't know. I think the movie overall does a pretty good job at like making that unclear. But like, would I tend to err more on the side of yes than no? 
Yeah, I would. Um, because so much of what, like, it's possible that it's all a big misunderstanding. It's absolutely possible um, that, you know, these things happen. But, like, man, the circumstantial evidence is pretty fucking high. And nothing he does is anything that a groomer would not do. Um feel like the right has ruined that fucking term but grooming is a thing and it's it's a very and he is in like an ideal position to do it this child is in an ideal position to be groomed as is the other one that we sort of see in you know these kids who are not who are experiencing violence in their homes who are not accepted in their schools for various reasons who are already isolated and like on the one hand you want an adult to try to be that safe person for them absolutely on the other hand it does make them ideal targets for someone who's doing this and there's another level of this that we definitely didn't talk about in, that we definitely didn't talk about in group all those years ago but that i found myself thinking about a lot now and we'll get into later but is the uh sexual orientation potentially of this child which um makes there, there is there is an implication from his mother later in the film that that he is gay and that his father beats him because he can tell that he's gay. He's the only black kid in the school. Right. This is part of what's going on. This is like just post integration. And so he's he's the only black student at this Catholic school. And he's his parents have sent him there because they were afraid he would get killed in the public schools. Yes. And. So he is isolated on multiple levels. And again, we have to also like, uh, uh, like part of what I appreciated so much about this movie, watching it now, there are so many layers, so many of them overlap really directly with like my master's thesis and how, and like the ways in which it like, look this, even if Philip Seymour Hoffman, Father Flynn, even if Father Flynn is innocent, what we are seeing consistently throughout this film is that the the authoritarian structure, the patriarchal setup, everything about this system is creating children who are designed to be victims for predators. And even if Father Flynn is innocent and is not doing this, someone is doing this, a lot of someones are doing this, and the church itself is creating those circumstances. So I like, and I think that part of what's so like sort of brilliant about the film watching it now is for example this second kid who we sort of have the the indication is sort of afraid of father flynn he's what sister aloysius first saw like shying back but, from but he's also like one of the known troublemakers in school and like there could be plenty of reasons why he would be resentful of the authority figures in the school right so that it, it gives you that for everything like there's always another possible explanation <laughs> Exactly. And that he, again, that he is a kid who is one of the known troublemakers. No one will believe him, even if he said something, which of course he would not. He's already, we see him coming out with a bloody nose. It's unclear to me. Like, I suspected he was also experiencing violence at home. Like, I mean, I think, I think there's a pretty clear implication in that scene that Sister Aloysius was right and that he did it to himself to get out of school. Because we see him leave school with a bloody nose and then he gets to the corner, looks back, realizes no one's watching him anymore, smiles pockets the handkerchief and pulls out a cigarette like he's he clearly did that to himself i think no that that adds to the that adds to the uncertainty of the whole situation right 
right is that that this kid does lie this kid does and like this is the thing that for people who are not like immersed in this that i am like i am like and what i tell people when i'm doing mandated reporter trainings and stuff is like kids lie kids lie for a lot of reasons kids are actually often more likely to lie if they're in traumatic situations but that doesn't mean that we don't believe them that doesn't mean that we don't you know make the calls we need to make maybe they're lying about the specifics of one situation but not like but that doesn't mean nothing is happening like but in this point we're looking at the 60s a point in which again you know integration is just is just happening there's a lot of fear around that and father flynn is functioning as like as a as a guard for this kid the other kids are not giving him a hard time because father flynn is protecting him so he is he's he's one of the altar boys and stuff so like he has this connection to the priest who is looking out for him and like and again it is it is the ideal circumstances it is the idea and then when you like add into it this like patriarchy and like the like sister aloysius who i think is truly one of meryl streep's all-time great characters is just like a, a great character in general because like is she like a bad person probably probably but by the end like there's a lot of things where i'm like you know she's freaking out about ballpoint pens and like all of this this is she is she is a regressive person like she believes that progress is dangerous and that anytime anyone does anything the easier way that it will lead to severe consequences in the future and like this is her whole mindset with how she runs the school is that we can never move anything forward because everything <laughs> forward is dangerous. And so this is another another aspect of the whole thing because Father Flynn is this, by the standards of the times, this very progressive priest, right? He wants to have a friendlier, more welcoming church where the, the priests and the nuns are like family to the people in the parish and he doesn't he he doesn't want to have this sort of like artificial distance between them that has always been kind of the way the catholic church operated but right that is like that on its own that's a good thing but it also you know it that is that is good cover for much more uh, malicious things so it's because you know like amy adams character who is the one who initially well, not initially, because Aloysius is already suspicious of him by then. But it, Amy Adams sees some things that make her suspicious. She goes to Sister Aloysius to tell her, and that that tips the scales for Aloysius. She's convinced. Uh, and then it was it Sister James was that her name, Amy Adams' character. Later, becomes convinced that she was wrong. Like she's she talks to Father Flynn, and she's convinced that he didn't do anything wrong. Um, but. By then, you know, Aloysius is already... But she has this whole thing where she talks to her saying, like, you just you just don't like him because you don't like that he wants to do things these, this new way and you're letting that convince you of something much worse than that because you, wa- you already wanted to get rid of him. And, like, she's not wrong about that. <laughs> she, she really is not wrong about that. But... But, you know, like everything else in this movie, that it's, it's a lot... There's, there's layers and layers to it. She's not wrong about it. Like, yes, Sister Aloysius is regressive. That's a good way to put it. Um, but what the what the story is also really careful to lay in is that she is she is fiercely protective. She believe she is following a code. She believes that she is protecting the students, is protecting the sisters. There's one sister who's like going blind, and she's making sure that like we don't know letting Sister James know that like hey like just help her if she needs it because if they find out they're gonna take her out of here and this is her home. That she you know she be- that I do think that she believes that this child um or that you know that 
children are in danger from Father Flynn, and she believes that it is her job to find a way to take him down, even though, for such a regressive person, she is, even though that is clearly and directly against what she is supposed to do in her role in the Catholic Church. Her role as a woman is specific. There is an incredible amount of hierarchy that she is supposed to go through, and she, like, her whole speech at the end, where she, or towards the end, where she is like, you know, I will literally, like, if, I will turn, I will turn my back on the church if they close the doors behind me and go to hell i will find a way to make sure and it's like the passion that she has is partly i believe for t protecting these children and the fact is no one else is doing anything and the fact is that what amy adams has seen is pretty fucking concerning and she should tell someone and the fact that she and like you're right she she noticed because aloysius told her to stay on the lookout but also she is an extremely like innocent person and i think and like is it bad to be on the lookout for not really but like and then like and the power that father flynn has like where he first has this conversation with um the two of them and then does a sermon about gossip and wow i had a lot of different feelings about this now yeah for sure that i mean that is part of the thing is like re regardless of w how you feel about father flynn's guilt or innocence at the end of this he is he is still he's like even though he is he is like the supposedly progressive priest and he thinks of himself in those terms and everyone else thinks of him as like oh he's like the hip cool guy he's still enmeshed in and like upholding this system of like you know you, you don't even have the right to question me about this cuz that's that's not our that's not the authority structure here i'm above you so it doesn't matter what you think <laughs> which is you know in, in just an insane system to have in place and he doesn't he doesn't seem to have any qualms about that about the way it's set up like he, he's he's not he's not arguing for any kind of equality between the priests and the nuns or anything so his uh his progressiveness obviously has some pretty severe limits it doesn't seem to have occurred to him to question that aspect of how the church functions and is that because it protects him? <laughs> That's, I mean, that is that is one obvious possible reason, right? I mean, it's uh, regardless of whether it's because it protects him, it is certainly because it privileges him. And like, and those are, and like, you know, there's there's a, a scene that I found fascinating in a whole different way. I think watching now, so we see several scenes with the nuns having dinner, and like Sister Aloysius is like the head nun, and so it's this very like so, like they're all completely silent and like whatever, and like yeah, the contrast between the priests eating and the nuns eating is just really fantastically well played. Yeah. But also, like, yes, it is fantastically well played. But also what is happening when we see the priests eating is Father Flynn telling all of these jokes about, like, a member of his congregation and how fat she is and how fat her dog. Like, he is, it's cruel. And they're all laughing uproariously and like, oh, you're so bad. So, like, honestly, in some ways, that is the, that is the least, like, kind we see him appearing in the movie. But it's also the place where he feels the most free to be himself um and like and like when i look at that now i'm just like okay like this man that we are seeing in this scene would not be recognized by a lot of the people who see him outside of that and that 
is its own kind of damning. Like what, you know, like it's not like he is this purely compassionate person all through, you know, like he is, he is performing to an audience of other fathers, pastors. Well, yeah, it's the Monsignor who I guess is the, the, the next step up from him and one of the other priests, I think. But that, you know, this, this, like everything else, I think, <laughs> I, I think you could you could make an argument that because, you know, the Monsignor is a much older guy and his views are probably much more in line with Sister Aloysius's in general, that he, you know, he may have this sort of, he needs to stay in this guy's good graces if he's going to accomplish the things he wants to accomplish, which doesn't make it, that, that's not really like a, a satisfactory excuse for the kind of conversation that was coming out of that table is gross. But it is. I think you could make the argument that that is not necessarily an accurate, like that is not necessarily him at his most natural and relaxed. It could that could be a performance that he's putting on for the benefit of these other priests, because that's maybe what they expect. So I, I mean, I think so. We haven't. I don't think we've mentioned this. I remember. I don't know if you remember. We we talked about this at the time. I think we we both kind of fell on the he probably didn't do it side when we saw it when we were younger and the at least for me the kind of prevailing theory that i had to to cover the whole thing was that father flynn is probably gay uh the boy is clearly gay probably the boy confessed that to father flynn who then probably you know they had a heart to heart about this he probably told the boy that he was also gay and you know because the kid had told him he wanted to be a priest and they probably had this conversation about what it's like to to have this thing in the church and have to hide it because, you know, people aren't going to accept it or whatever. And that that is what he's hiding for both of them. And I, I do think that is a, a plausible explanation I, I, because it would be that that would be enough of a thing that he would resign to avoid that coming out, I I would think. In that day and age, in the, that day and age, and that is probably something that Alo- Sister Aloysius would eventually have uncovered if she had like really gone digging for it, right? So I, I like I, like I said, with everything, there is always the the, the screenplay of this movie gives you an an, an alternative, uh, less horrifying explanation for everything. There is a, there's there's always another possibility, but. <sighs> Okay, but like the other thing is that even if that is true, that doesn't necessarily mean he wasn't fucking with the kid. Both things can be true. And I think it is important, again, to be thinking of the time period. Like the reality is that when we're talking about queerness and when we're talking about people being gay, particularly in like times where they just like could not come out, we often are talking about children who are you know, rejected by their families still. Um, And all of these things and what you saw a lot of and one of the reasons why this like age gap concept has become such a such a known quantity in a lot of queer circles, even though it doesn't hold the same like validity it used to is because there was a long period of time where in a lot of circles like that was sort of like you would like take kids under your wing to like teach them how to be gay because they had been like they had been you know denied by their families and all of those sorts of things and that did include fucking them and potentially and like is that right absolutely not is that different and more complicated than like than just quote unquote a child predator yes 
it's like there's so many layers that all have to do with like the time the specific like the you know again the the um integration of schools the attitudes around queerness the social change and upheaval during that time because i think you're right i think i think he probably i think he probably is gay like i i think that is probably true regardless of what else is true um and that he probably is gay Uh, he has that one line where he's talking to the boys where they're like what if all the girls say no to you and he says then you become a priest and again like it's not explicit but in context of everything else it's like "Mm." yeah it's like that i mean that's the obvious joke to make there even if you're not a priest but also like you know (laughs) yeah exactly and that's part of the thing about this movie is that what we see because what we see is we see sister aloysius who i do believe wants to protect what she sees as sacred and that does include the children i do believe that she believes she wants to do that but the problem is that her existence is also making these children more like she does not recognize her own part in this system. Like everyone, like, you know, at some point, you know, uh, sister James is like, okay, but like, they're all like, they seem pretty happy, but like they're uniformly terrified of you. And she's like, yes, that's how it works. And the indication is like, this is like, to some extent that she sees this as some sort of sacrifice that she is making. Like, yes, the children are terrified of me. I am keeping them out of hell. I am doing like some sort of, you know, this concept of like a calling that like she is not just be a nun but to specifically protect these spaces but she is making them more dangerous because she is making she is making it so because what father flynn is talking about the idea of like you know treating people with humanity when he convinces when he convinces sister james that he didn't do it the idea of like treating people with humanity the idea of that love is not something to be ashamed of that we need all of that is true and those things are protective factors but he is not approaching neither of them are approaching the actual villain in this which is the system that le- not only leaves children vulnerable to this but like in fact makes them more so <laughs> yeah it's i mean y- y- you're definitely correct that sister ellie wishes she wants to protect the children that is part of what she sees as her job rightfully so and she wants to protect them but she wants to protect them from all kinds of things she wants to protect them from predatory priests she also wants to protect them from frosty the snowman like that not that she sees those as equally <laughs> equally uh, significant threats i guess but she wants to protect them from ballpoint pens like she thinks that if they don't learn how to write correctly there will be these horrible consequences down the line like that's that's how she views everything everything is this sort of opposition narrative in her head of like we we just have to keep the bad stuff out and the bad stuff is everything that wasn't there 10 years ago <laughs> right <laughs> like... well and there is a huge there is a huge amount of um like this concept she she has this line and i think we did talk about this a lot at group at the time that i found in many ways more interesting and was trying to ponder through more this time through of like any time we take a step to address wrongdoing we are taking a step away from god she says it twice yeah which i that i remember finding that really interesting at the time and i still don't i've never heard anyone else say anything like that <laughs> so i don't know I don't, I'm curious to know what uh, what the writers where what, where he got that like did that idea come from his head or is that something that he heard growing up? Because yeah, that is not a sentiment I've ever heard expressed anywhere else before, and it seems a little weird hearing it come out of a, a, a character who's a nun. 
Yeah, and she. I mean, to me, I feel like it. It plays again the sense of the sense of calling, the sense of sacrifice that she is. Like she is the martyr who is going to like do whatever it takes. Um, and that, yes, that that means sometimes like the best I could determine is like the idea that she was like, that like walking into this level of darkness, that like seeing the world in this dark of a way is like taking a step away from like the love and charity and compassion and all of these things that God like is because this darkness is not who God is. And so in order to confront that, you have to like take several steps into that into that space of of evil functionally and you're right the evil does appear to be ballpoint pens and also frosty the snowman and also evil priests um and to be clear like in a lot of ways like sister aloysius doesn't even seem to really question the structure of the church exactly simply that like she believes that it's right she believes that she could go to hell and i i think she does believe that she could go to hell for ignoring the hierarchy of the church and she believes that it is worth it, that it is a sacrifice worth making. This is what makes her feel like her life is, you know, this is the this is the ethos by which she lives her life. Um, what I think she does not know, realize, understand, or would be unwilling to hear is that, again, the environment that she is largely responsible for creating in the school is, in fact, making it harder for these children to be safe from these true threats as opposed to ballpoint pens and frosty the stoven i would like to say as a side note this movie is so much funnier than you would think it is given the given the the like basic concept yeah there's a lot of very particularly early in the movie there's a lot of very funny stuff um with you know amy adams kind of tiptoeing around sister aloysius and all like there's there's a lot of a surprising amount of laughs so and like Meryl Streep is like Meryl Streep's delivery of some of the the line in which she is talking about Frosty the Snowman, and she's just like, if the music were less uplifting, people would understand how horrifying and heretical the concept is. And I think it's, I'm like, it's so funny. But this is the other thing, right? Like she doesn't like Father Flynn. He doesn't like her either. She's not like what he wants. And Amy Adams, Sister James, does not like Sister Aloysius either, but has more complicated feelings about it because she has seen her try to care for the you know these nuns try like she believes that she is sincere but also she does like she likes father flynn he's so likable he's so funny he's so personable his sermons are so short and also personable like and like and i'm like yeah and like that's great he might be a really good he could also be a predator because surprise spoiler they are frequently very personable and good with adults like and it's it's just such a it's such a mind fuck and at the end of the day i landed on i still think it's likely i think it's more likely than not that he did do it I suspect that one, it's more complicated. I do suspect there's some like gender and sexuality stuff that comes into play um, that allowed him to not see himself as a villain in that way because of all of these things. Um, but but I don't know for sure. I don't know for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, w- one thing. So Sister James's arc in this movie is fascinating. Because she begins as like the innocent one who is, you know, she's teaching these kids and she loves it and she loves teaching and, you know, the kids seem to like her well enough and like she's just she's just living her dream life 
in this this uh, this school getting to teach these kids and she's excited about history and she wants them to be excited about it and and she's so like sort of shocked by these ideas that sister Aloysius has like she did when she first goes to tell her she's like i i'm not sure at all and i'm not even sure exactly what you think happened like she's so she's still so like sort of fresh-faced innocent kind of thing. i'm not sure exactly how old she's supposed to be at this point but and one of the things that's like we see we see the effect that that all of this has on her that all of this like suspicion of the people around you and the you know not trusting the the people in authority who you'd always thought were safe we see the effect that this starts to have on her where we see a scene of her teaching where she starts yelling at her students and her sort of becoming more and more like sister Aloysius to the point where by the end of the movie she's telling her I wish I could be like you and it's <laughs> like it's it's really kind of a tragic arc I think because I, I I mean I think I think anyone would agree that the the better place to be is where she was at the beginning like for her own sake and probably for those around her like that is that is a better happier person to be but maybe that maybe that's impossible to to maintain in the real world right I, I don't know but it is it, she is I mean she is the the third build she is the she is the the sort of supporting character to these other two but she has a, a very interesting and sort of tragic arc on her own and she's so fucking good at it i don't know i don't know what has happened to amy adams in like the last five or six years i don't think she's done anything good since arrival <laughs> but she's so good at this movie sharp objects isn't good but she was really good in it anyway um no i mean i think i mean i think you're right and i think i just keep thinking that conversation where father flynn convinces her that he didn't do it is honestly the thing that most makes me think that he did um at this point through but where he's because the things he's saying are not wrong like he's but like he is he is mirroring he is mirroring herself in him and being like you know i see how i see these best things of you i see that spark and people like sister aloysius they want to get rid of that spark how else would you relate to children except with love how else can you do that and the other thing being that i think again this this movie's so fucking good guys you should go watch this movie it's so good <laughs> but the other thing being that i think that a, a comparison to that is that when sister aloysius and him are alone in the room and she is claiming erroneously that she called a nun and found out about his history and all of this kind of stuff um he says like have you never done anything wrong a mortal sin what did you do we're the same we're the same. And in a way, it's the same thing that he did <laughs> to Amy Adams. It is this, It is just a different twist. And the thing is, nothing he was saying to Amy Adams was wrong. You're right. The way she was at the beginning was the better way. Her, her kids, her class loved her. There was some There was some issues with discipline, but not very much. They loved her. Right, they were responding. Graders. Of course, there's some issues with discipline. <laughs> Yes. Um, they love her. They're responding. She loves her job. She loves the people around. She loves her calling. She believes in what she's doing. And she sees these children with genuine compassion and love um, in a way that Sister Aloysius absolutely does not. Um, and so, like, he's right. Like, how else should you relate to children but with love? But is that truly the thing? Or is he taking that concept 
and doing something. (laughs) And I just like, I feel like between like, again, it just, it has that feeling of like, something's not right. And when you see those mirrored scenes, but also you could be right. He could just, he could be gay and, not and like that's the thing he's hiding and so again the system and the way that the system responds to these things is like part of what creates additional opportunity for this also i just realized you never said whether or not you think he did it that's what i was about to say is i don't i i like you said what i think about him being gay or whatever and i don't know that i necessarily hold that view anymore that was just that was kind of the 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 view that i had had come up with and latched onto when i saw it when i was younger uh, honestly i'm I'm like 50-50. I'm <laughs> maybe like 55-45 in favor of he did it. But it's I, I think it is like a masterclass balancing act of like it could go either way, honestly. And like because it is like so Sister Aloysius is not someone that I would want in my life. She's not she would hate me. I would hate her. But, like, if I was a person who was in trouble and she decided she was going to be on my side, I'd be really glad of it, right? Like, I don't think she belongs in the position that she's in as the principal of a school like that. I think that's a terrible idea and it's not helping anyone. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm, she's there is there is good that people like her can do. And, and she's she is trying to do it. But... So, you know, is she, and we get, we get little kind of bits and pieces of her backstory. She, she tells Amy Adams that she had been at a, a, a different church or school previously. And there was, she doesn't go into any details. We don't actually know what happened in that case either, but there was a priest there who she was convinced had also been doing the same thing. And she had another priest on her side in that case. And so she was able to, to do something about it. Um, yeah, we don't we don't get any we don't hear anything more about that. She mentions this one this one priest that she had on her side fondly, you know, I had him then so I was able to do something about it, but now we have to do this on our own. Um but that's that's really the only that's all we that's all we get about it. So I I don't you know, I don't I don't we don't know what happened there. Uh maybe that made her more inclined to be suspicious and you know rightfully so because <laughs> this, this is the thing right is like is it even possible to be too suspicious in the middle of the catholic church <laughs> like as we know now i don't know how much of that was known then but it must have been known to a lot of people within the church structure at least even if it wasn't known to the public and particularly someone who'd been, you know, like a principal of a school level of authority for years. So I don't like I don't I don't like her. So that that does and I think when we saw this when we were younger, at least for myself, I definitely kind of saw myself as philosophically aligned with Father Flynn, right? Like we were the we were the sort of like becoming these like progressive minded people in the church and getting starting to get pushback from it from people like Sister Aloysius. Like that was that was the thing that we were going through at the time a lot. So I think at the at the time I was much more inclined to to sort of take his side for the like it felt more relatable. Um at this point I'm kind of like I don't like either of these people. <laughs> like, maybe let them fight them, fight each other to the death. I'll, you know, but 
yeah i so i'm i honestly don't i don't think i could come down one way or the other on it which is part of what i love about the movie so much Absolutely. And I think that one of the things, I mean, because one, the fact that I come down more on the side of I think he did it very well may have to do with my own work and my own life. And that is why, and I mean, this holds, that is why I had us start with doubt is because even then I felt like what you saw in this movie was more about you than it was (laughs) about the movie. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, if I watch this movie in 10 years again, I might feel very differently about some of it, which is one of, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that the best movies and the best stories can do. So absolutely. Um, No, it's absolutely incredible. And I do want to at least have a chance to touch on Viola Davis's scene, which is. Yeah, yeah. no, we got it. Yeah, we can't skip over that for sure. So at some point, so when Father Flynn has sort of tried to shut Meryl Streep down again, has given this sermon that is clearly aimed at her, which again, this use of his power and this use of his authority in these situations also makes me not trust him, even though like, again, this is just like the way that the church works and the way that, um, the way that many people are taught to view the church and whatever. But like, so all of this has happened, but she still calls Donald's mother and has her come my dog is causing chaos um, and has her come to the office. Viola Davis comes in. His father can't get off of work. She only has a half hour and father Flynn sees her in the office and like comes later. But like initially Meryl Streep says she'll walk her to her job. So she's walking her through the park and they're talking and she's kind of trying to like talk around it. Like I am, you know, how is Donald doing you know did they did he tell you why he got taken off the altar boys yes he said he got caught drinking altar wine and you know i i guess you have to do it in that case his father beat the shit out of him for it basically oh we should have done that like you know well you don't tell my husband what to do and like and eventually she kind of works her way closer and closer to the like i am concerned that Father Flynn may have made inappropriate advances at your son. And to Viola Davis's characters, Mrs. Miller's credit, um, she is very much like, if that happened, like, that's his fault. That isn't my, my, that's not my son's fault. He didn't do it, like, you know, trying to protect her son. And Meryl, you know, Sister Alois is like, no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm trying, like, it's a little unclear to me. Is she hoping that Mrs. Miller will come out and, and, and like, and, and, and accuse Father Flynn? Because that seems wildly unlikely. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think she's hoping that she'll maybe know something, you know, and maybe even be willing to like to back her up on it, I guess. But it is I'm I'm a little unclear on it as well. What exactly she was hoping to get out of this. I mean, to some extent, I think it demonstrates her lack of understanding of the privilege and power situations that she is in, which is ironic because she's the one who's really intent on keeping the power separation. Um, and I think that that's an interesting thing, too, because she doesn't want to talk to people like this. But in this case, anyway. Um, but and finally, when she's pushed to a certain point, eventually, like Mrs. Miller is just like, it's just till spring. So what if there is, it's just till spring. Like if he gets, if he graduates from, from St. Mark's or whatever it is, St. Whatever, um, then he's going to have a better chance of getting into a good high school. He's going to have a better chance of going to college. And if this priest takes care of him, protects him, he needs someone to do that. And finally she goes a step further and is like, maybe some kids are looking to be, to be pursued. And Sister Aloysius is, you know, horrified and like, and she, and she finally, she doesn't outright say he's gay. She says, it's like, it's the boy's nature. That's why his father beats him. How are we supposed to like punish someone for the nature that God gave them? Um, and like, he needs a man, he needs a man who loves him and who will take care of him. And if there are other things going on, I don't know about it. It's just till June. Like, 
how do you know you don't know what you don't know how do you know that this is the worst possible thing it's it's such a devastating scene and it even throws sister aloysius back for a minute she's like you know what kind of mother are you and she's like you don't know anything to say something like that um and it's it's really heartbreaking (laughs) you know it's i mean it's a really incredible like just it's a small part of the movie but it it kind of forms the heart of the whole thing this glimpse into like you know these these are the choices that some people have to work with like and maybe (laughs) from from this woman's perspective the best case scenario for her son is that he spend the next six months in close proximity with a priest who may or may not be molesting him like that's that is still the best case scenario for him because he is protecting him from other harm he is he is caring for him he seems to feel cared and for helping assure his future which is the that's that's the really significant part is that he'll there's a path out of of the you know the kind of poverty that she's living in but only if he can get through these, these next few months so maybe maybe he'll have to maybe he'll have to come out of it with some scars but it'll be worth it in the long run right like that's the kind of choice that she has to make it is the incredible it's amazing performance yeah she perceives it as the best of a series of prob- of bad options but like what what is going to protect her son the most physically right now um and what is going to protect her son's future um which again it's horrifying to imagine that the choice might be a pedophile is the most protective thing for your child but her perspective of the situation is not wrong per se and also Again, we knew way less about trauma. We understood way less about how a lot of this stuff worked at that point. So there's also that. And also, again, you just, you cannot help, like, in my mind, like, I cannot help but continually go back to, like, like, even if Father Flynn did it, and Father Flynn is an evil person who did do it, that is very possible. But Father Flynn is not the villain here. These systems, this church, the thing that create the ability for Father Flynn to maybe do what he did and get a promotion to a bigger church by the end, to a bigger church in school, um, that is the in fact the villain. And Sister Aloysius doesn't see that at all because she's too busy trying to like hunt down. I mean, at this point in my life, I honestly am so suspicious of any white woman who wants to do things to protect the children like that's just a across the board no, thing. it's true the la- like the last few years have really like you know the the whole you know uh smearing queer people as groomers you know, movement that has completely taken over right-wing politics uh looking at this movie through that lens and seeing her as the avatar of that uh, makes it a very different experience. Like I, I honestly, I honestly didn't think about that while watching it. it like it didn't, it, I didn't really think of her in those terms while watching it. But I've, you know, kind of that is one of the things that has occurred to me since I finished it, and it is that that puts a very different light on it. Uh, especially if you're going with the assumption that Father Flynn is gay, right? <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, there's it's complicated. It's so complicated. There's, there's so many layers to all of it. It's insane. It truly is just a masterclass in screenwriting and acting and all of these things. It's it, it is like I said. I mean, yes, obviously the subject matter 
is a somewhat intense subject matter. There's never anything like explicit. In fact, they very specifically do not um, ever talk in explicit specifics. Um, I believe the closest she comes is like inappropriate advances or something like that. She says she says she believes he was trying to seduce him. I believe she uses that word, and then she says that he he may have formed an inappropriate relationship with your son. Is what he what she says. Um. But yeah, I think a naive enough person could watch this and not understand what 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 was supposed to have maybe happened, you know? Like yeah, and I think and so I so I will say that on that side of things it is it is less graphic than some of the other things that I mean at some point Deliver Us from Evil is still on this list, which is a documentary about an actual priest who actually molested a shit ton of people. Um it is definitely, I think, far more watchable um and far i would think probably far less triggering than some of those things um and it really there are moments i laughed so hard at the moment where her and father flitter like awkwardly waiting for sister james to come and she says something about like he asks about the sister falling in her eyesight and she's like trying to distract she's just like it's the habits they trip us up we go down like domino <laughs> And like she is making a joke, although it feels a little like rusty for her. Like she is really funny in like in a way that almost reminds me of our mom. Like it's a very like dark, sarcastic kind of humor. Um, but she is really funny. And a lot of the movie has remarkably funny and interesting like things. I just if your concern is the is the content of this movie, I would say that this is on the lower end of triggering stuff around that. Um, but obviously, you know, you know yourself best. I really like I would recommend everyone watch this movie if they can. It's incredible. Yeah. What is this movie rated? Is it a PG-13? It is. Okay. Because like, I don't think there's anything in it specifically other than thematically that would put it above a PG, right? Like it, it really is is pretty mild in that regard. But um. I do, I do feel like we should talk a little bit about the technical side of it because so it's based on a play which was created by the same guy who wrote and directed the movie. That is often not a great recipe for a dynamic movie. Um, a lot of people, I am not one of them. I tend to like movies that are based on plays because they tend to be like really good showcases for actors. And we've talked about this. I think we talked about this a little bit with the big kahuna, right? Where it's you, you often get like most of the movies in one location and it's all dialogue and like... A lot of people are bored by that kind of thing, and it's not always done great. I tend to really like that kind of thing, but it is not the most dynamic sort of movie usually. Uh, and I guess the way to get around that is to hire Roger Deakins to shoot it. I mean, <laughs> because this movie looks incredible, and you know they they get out of it's not like it all. I don't know how the play is staged, but you know they, they there's this big like church and school as the setting, and that they're moving all over constantly. In fact, it is constantly it is it is frequently a thing where they are having a conversation that has to be moved because there are other people around. So they're like moving from room to room as they talk. Like it's, it's all done very dynamically. There's a lot of, there's this thing going on kind of in the background of this movie of like the weather going bad and the wind that keeps coming up and none of them have ever seen a wind like this. And it's kind of, it fits in interestingly, this thematic thing of like, there's this new kind of un unsettling thing in the world because this is, again, the aftermath of the Kennedy assassination is invoked at the very beginning of the movie and the way that this was like a, a communal experience that was terrible for everyone. Um, which, of course, you know, this movie is a few years post 9-11 and I'm sure that it's, I don't know when the play was written, but I'm, I'm sure that... Uh, that is intended to be a, a subtextual thing going on there too. And so there's, 
it's it's a very dynamic movie. Nothing about it feels stagey, quote unquote. It doesn't feel like a play. Um, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of Dutch angles happening in the movie. A lot of like where we're supposed to see the world is sort of physically askew. Yeah, I, I personally, I think there's maybe a little too much of that. That's honest. That, honestly, that if I had to, if I had to find a complaint about this movie, I'd say there's too many Dutch angles. That's literally the only thing I could come up with. No, I, I don't disagree. I noticed it more in this one. Another thing that I want to, like, when we're talking about, like, sort of the atmosphere and the thematic. So, like, this movie starts with Father Flynn giving a sermon. Fucking great sermon. <laughs> starts with Father Flynn giving a great sermon. Uh, I wish that any sermon we ever listened to growing up was this interesting. Although, to be fair, it was only five minutes. So, you had that going for him. But, um, yeah, it's a homily, right? They, I mean, it's it's meant to be a very brief. They do it differently in the Catholic Church. Evangelicals, they'll preach for 45 minutes an hour. But they did it. Yeah. In the Catholic Church, they have more time of the service committed to the, the communion and all that. But, yeah. Although not when we were, like, our parents' church to preaches 20 minutes, 30 minutes tops. Like, Mark Driscoll and stuff were the ones who taught for an hour. But regardless, that's neither here nor there. The point is, he starts talking about the, he starts talking about this, the experience of the Kennedy assassination and how they were all together and how, you know, like, it was terrible, but they were in it together. Um, and that, you know, how much worse is it for, you know, the man or woman who, you know, is alone with their suffering. Like, no one knows I'm sick. No one knows that I've lost my only real friend. Like, he has, like, this whole thing. How much worse is it for that? And he ends this sermon by saying that doubt can be as powerful of a bond as faith. And I'm curious... Certainty is what he says, yeah, which related but not exactly the same. No, that's fair. As certainty. I'm curious what you think about that. And do you think that the movie bears that out? Because I think it... it well, I'll, I'll let you say what you think first, and I'll say what I think. So I, one one thing to note that I, is that this... So Sister Aloysius later tells Father Flynn that she started being suspicious of him because she saw the kid shrink away from him on the playground or whatever, which she did see. We see that too. But I think she started, I think she, I don't think that was true. I think she started being suspicious of him because he preached this sermon about the virtues of doubt. And in her mind, she's like, well, the priest isn't supposed to be doubting. He must be doing something wrong. And that's kind of what set her on this thing. And for, so then she was looking for suspicion. Anyway, so that's, that's one thing is that that, that was kind of the, the inciting incident for her, I think. Um, but it's interesting to look at, so we have... <laughs> The the certainty versus doubt thing where we have Sister Aloysius has her certainty. She says that. She, I have my certainty. That was what she has no proof, but I have my certainty. That's that's what she's basing her whole campaign on. And Sister James has doubt. She she she's not sure she did the right thing to even bring it up. She doesn't believe that Father Flynn committed this crime. She is she doubts Sister Aloysius's motives. And that is, and so the the two of them are on, they're they're on opposite poles, right? There's the certainty and the doubt. But then at the end, we find out, right, that the certainty of Sister Aloysius was a facade to some degree, right? That she does have her own doubts, and the two of them are together in that at the end, um, which is a very like I'm I'm <laughs> I'm getting a little choked up thinking about it. The very end of that movie is one of those things that. That just hits me every time. Uh, but it is an interesting thematic overarching thing that we start off with that sermon about the connecting power of doubt. And then the movie ends with the two, <laughs> the two of them united by their doubt. 
um, by, by, by their fear that they may have ruined an innocent person's life. Right. <laughs> but, but you know, maybe, maybe they didn't, maybe they did the right thing and they saved a bunch of kids. Like, well, either way, they didn't save a bunch of kids. He well, just went to a different, but, but that's not their fault. Right. That's out of their, that's out of their control. They did what they could. They did the best they could. They, they protected the kids that were in their bubble to protect. Right. And I think, so I think a couple of things. One, I mean, you're definitely right. Um, in fact, we see a scene with the nuns where where Sister Aloysius brings up to be on the outlook is that she's asking about this sermon. What do you think Father Flynn meant? Is Father Flynn experiencing doubt? Is, fa- is Father Flynn, you know, experiencing this, whatever? I want you to keep an eye out. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think something is off. So, so that is true. The thing is, I think he's right that doubt can be as powerful of a connector as, as certainty. I also think that both of those things. So what I what I found myself thinking about was uh, Hannah Gadsby's Nanette, where she talks about the bonding power of negative emotions. She talks about anger and, you know, not wanting to be the person to create the tension anymore, like wanting to, because there is too much tension in the world. And it is bonding. It is something that we come together on. But that doesn't make it good. Like a bond is not inherently good. And so the idea that yes, doubt may be as strong. And like, I'm not sure that certainty is always good either as a bond for the record. I think there are a lot of certain very, very bad people. Um, But like that those bonds that to put all that to like have that closeness, because we do see Sister Aloysius and Sister James over the course of the movie become their relationship is really fascinating. Like when Sister James finally like yells at her that like she just doesn't like him or whatever. Honestly, I think Sister Aloysius is impressed. Like she's just like, oh shit. Like I thought that you didn't have that in you. Um, Like she's not mad at her. She's not, (laughs) she's not upset. I think she's impressed. And the fact that she feels able to break down with sister james at the end of the movie is incredible because i don't think she does that with probably anyone like and so there is no doubt that these two women have formed a remarkable bond a a very singular bond over the course of this experience but is it a good bond (laughs) i mean this goes back to what i was talking about earlier right they formed this bond because the world the world has now lost a sister James and it now has two sister Aloysius, right? <laughs> like, is that, is that progress? It doesn't feel like progress. So yeah, I don't know. The only other thing I want to mention just real quickly that, because I think it matters and I think it plays into this whole system um, is that all of these adults are waging fucking war over this and over these children None of them talk to the children. Like, none of the... Like, Sister James at one point asks, we could ask Donald. <laughs> and Sister Aloysius is just like... Psh. Well, and Flynn says that too. He says, talk to the boy. And said, well, I, there's no point, right? Obviously, he'll protect you. So what's the point? <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, if she's right and the, the dynamic is what she thinks it is, probably he would. She's probably not wrong that he would protect Father Flynn, although not necessarily. If, he, if you know, we don't know, uh, assuming this was happening at all, we don't know what his mindset about it is. And maybe he would see that as a way out and he would jump on it. That's entirely possible. And she doesn't seem to consider that as a possibility. But even if he did, you know, even if it did happen and the kid did, 
stand up to protect Father Flynn, she still should be talking to him about it. <laughs> like it's that's not an excuse to leave him out of this proceeding that is like determining his entire present and future. Absolutely. And like the fact of the matter is that like yes, they may have ruined an innocent man's life. They may have done their best to protect some children. Donald's life is left to shambles by it and there's no indication that they're doing anything to follow up with that there's no indication that she's doing anything to try like if if Father Flynn was protecting him there's no indication that she has any plan or intention in place for how to take care of this child when they take away his protector and I feel like we see this so often with people who are very intense about saving the children is that they do not see children as human they do not they they are markers for a cause they are like they are the emblems of whatever it is they're fighting they're sort of pre-human and the goal is to like get them to become the kind of humans that you want them to be right so they're like entirely moldable at this point and you just try to get them into the right shape before they become human that's kind of the view yeah and i just think that's worth pointing out because i think that too often when it comes to things with kids there's this general like adultism based impression that like adults have to figure this out and like i to be clear i do believe that adults should work to protect children i just don't think you can protect children if you don't see them as people and include them in their own goddamn lives (laughs) so that's that's my soapbox for today we've been talking for an hour (laughs) Uh, i got a couple other brief kind of lighthearted notes here because one one thing i noticed that uh that i had certainly never realized before that was kind of funny was one of the other nuns i believe it was the one who was going blind sister veronica uh is played by alice drummond who was the librarian that gets scared by the ghost in the first scene of ghostbusters (laughs) as soon as i saw that i was like oh yeah that's totally her but she was like an old lady then right (laughs) anyway i noticed that and i i do think it's funny to look at john patrick shanley's other film credits i don't know if you if you took a peek so i don't have any idea about his other stage work i think primarily what he does is stage work because he doesn't have that many film credits prior to this his only directing credit Joe versus the volcano. <laughs> Just the for anyone who doesn't know is a very very goofy early '90s Tom Hanks vehicle, uh, which we did see once, and I remember finding kind of funny, but like could not be more opposite from this. He wrote and directed that movie, uh, and since this movie, he has had one movie that he directed called Wild Mountain Time. That is, it stars Emily Blunt and Jamie Dornan and John Hamm and Christopher Walken. But apparently, it's so bad that like it basically doesn't exist. Um, the tagline for it is: "There's nothing more dangerous dot 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 than an Irish woman in love." So that <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, not that you should judge a movie by its tagline necessarily, but that anyway. Um, he also, though, has has writing credits for a few other movies, including Moonstruck, which I, we just talked about recently that I fucking loved. I know you weren't a huge fan of that movie, but he was a writer on Moonstruck. And also Congo, <laughs> the infamously bad Michael Crichton adaptation about the killer gorillas. He wrote that one, too. <laughs> so I don't know what this dude's deal is. Like, frankly, anyone who has created something as good as the movie of doubt and i assume the play as well i assume the play is great i've never seen it but anyone who's created something as good as this like you know that's thousands and thousands of artists work their entire careers hoping to create something this good and they never do so like even if everything he else uh, everything else he ever made is a little bit i can't believe the same guy did that uh you know he gets a pass for making this one but i do think it's i I thought it was funny enough to be worth pointing out (laughs) 
<laughs> that is really funny. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen Joe versus Volcano a few times, but not in years. Um, I think I had seen it before you did. And then maybe we watched it together. But um, and yeah, I remember finding it funny. Um, yeah, I assume he does most. Of it. And Congo, to be fair, is an adaptation of a profoundly stupid Michael Crichton book. There's probably only so much you can do. But um, that was a really bad movie. So <laughs> I've never seen it. I did read the book and it was quite dumb. Uh, but yeah, I, I never have seen the movie. Amazing. Okay, well, we are we are plus an hour here, so let's go ahead and figure out what we're watching next time, whenever that is. Um, so we currently have thirty six movies remaining. It almost all fits on one page in my phone. Yeah, I've been doing this so long. Okay, what's number thirty one? No. <laughs> Better not be Deliver Us From Evil. It's not Deliver Us From Evil. It is The Stoning of Soraya M. <laughs> oh, that's right. That came up once before and we didn't end up doing it because partially because we literally couldn't find it anywhere, but partially just because we really didn't want to. Um, let me see if it's uh, if it's around anywhere at this point. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> just Watch literally has nothing uh not available at the moment that's what that's all it says i could probably get it on flex but um let's choose a second one just in case and then it'll be a surprise which one we do next time <laughs> okay what's 22 22 is mean creek shit i didn't remember we watched that for this like i remember seeing that around that that time but i don't remember that was i didn't remember doing it for this i have not seen it since uh, I remember that being a really interesting movie. So, I'm, rough watch. Yeah, rough watch for sure. But uh, I'm I'm quite curious about that. I wonder if that one is because that's not exactly a. Is Karen Culkin one of the Culkin, or is it one of the Culkins? Isn't? Yeah, I think it's whatever the second one is. Is that Kieran? Oh no, it's Rory. Rory was in it. Rory is the third one, but yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it is available on Amazon Prime, so easy enough. Okay, but we are going to have to figure out the starting of Soraya M at some point. <laughs> are we, though? Can't we just skip it? I don't know. But yeah, we don't want that to end up being the last one, right? So, Right. Yeah. I would rather not end on that. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Okay, cool. All right, well, I have not watched that many movies um, because life, I don't know. Um, but I do have some. So who do you want to go first? Uh, I think I actually have a little more than usual this time, so why don't you start? Okay. Um, so I'm just going to kind of wrap them up. Uh, Joel loaned us the Blu-ray set of the Planet of the Apes movies, and we watched all of them. Oh, you um, went through them all already. Okay. We did. We did. Um, as someone who really enjoyed the remake trilogy but had never watched anything more than the original planet of the apes and was unclear how the remake trilogy was a remake because like it didn't seem to have that much to do but actually it's like a remake that starts from like movie three like that's (laughs) which is a shame because all of the most weird shit happens in the earlier movies my favorite by far was escape from the planet of the apes is that the second one no, that's the third one. <laughs> I've only seen the first two, even though this is my box set that they're watching. I've I've still only seen the first two. Beneath the Planet of the Apes was the second one. The third one is Escape from the Planet of the Apes. It's wild. Honestly, I felt like the last two were mostly pretty boring. Um, the 
the remake trilogy is a much more engaging uh, approach to those. They just, but it is a shame that they cut out all the weirdest sci-fi elements of the original set. Um, I'm glad we watched it though. It was, it was fun. Um, and then we watched a movie uh, called Score from 1973, which is basically softcore pornography. Um, I mean, it is softcore pornography. It's not basically, it just is. It was up on movie. Um, and it was really fun. It's like about this bisexual swinger couple who are determined to like turn this woman and her husband. I remember seeing that. On, I mean, I didn't watch it, but I, I yeah, I, I, I keep up with what's on movie. So I remember noticing that on. It was fun. I had a good time with it. Um, some amazing fashion choices. Uh, did put sort of a sad sheen on it when I looked up the two lead actors and they both died of AIDS in the 90s. So that was sad. That is a bummer. Yeah. Um, and then I really wanted to watch the uh, new Fatal Attraction miniseries um, up on Paramount Plus because it has Joshua Jackson and Lizzie Kaplan. And I love both of those people. And Lizzie Kaplan's so good at being crazy. So like... Uh, <laughs> I've heard it's wretchedly bad, but I haven't watched it. I've never seen the movie. So... I do not have that feeling. I don't know. We're only halfway through it. I, I like it. I like it. I, I think a lot of it is going to depend on how they end it because it's a little unclear to me. They're definitely doing a different thing. But honestly, I can watch Joshua Jackson and most things and be really happy. I have enjoyed it. Um, but I hadn't watched the movie in years. Morgan had never seen the movie. I remembered really liking the movie. I still really like the movie. It's a great fucking movie. Although I have a lot more empathy for Glenn Close's character now than I did when I first watched it. Um She's just such a villain. And like, am I supposed to feel bad for Michael fucking Douglas? Like in what world? Anyway, um, because I always think of the line in Sleepless in Seattle, which is like the line that like, which is probably where I first heard of Fatal Attraction of him, of him talking to his son and being like, didn't you see Fatal Attraction? And he's like, you wouldn't let me. <laughs> he goes, well, it scared the shit out of me. It scared the shit out of every man in America, which really doesn't make sense because it's actually not very connected to like the, like she meets him normally, not through. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I just kept getting caught up on how that line doesn't really make that much sense in the movie. Unless the entire point is, bitches be crazy and we'll try to kill you like that's like the only <laughs> anyway whatever um so we watched that morgan also liked it while we were in montana uh we watched the game which is one of the few fincher movies i had not watched um i guess we were on a michael douglas kick i don't know i believe that is the only fincher movie i haven't seen i really did not like it <laughs> It felt like all of the things, like, honestly, I do question how much of a Fincher fan I still am. I feel like his, like, the way that he handles sex and stuff on screen is very skeezy to me. And I feel like a lot of that stands out to me more now than it used to. Um, I haven't rewatched any of his movies in years, so I don't know if they, if some of them would still hold up for me. But, like, I just thought this was, like, it was so fucking dumb. And it was, like, all of the stuff that I know I dislike about Fincher. So, whatever. Um, and then we started re <laughs> You're gonna give me such a look. <laughs> we started rewatching Transformers, because Morgan's never seen Transformers. I noticed you've been logging those, yeah. That that does not seem like a good enough excuse to I, I feel like we should have taken taken that blessing and, and kept it intact, but sure. I literally have said, I think, in both of my reviews, why the fuck am I doing this to myself again? Um here's why. Because life has been incredibly stressful and I have been so overwhelmed and just not felt up to a lot of like important movies 
a lot of the time. And so with Transformers, I think I feel like I can just get stoned and like watch the things explode. But we did just watch the second one, which is so unforgivably bad. Like the first one is not good. Don't get me wrong, but it is more enjoyable. The first one's the only one I ever saw. I saw it in the theater. Haven't seen it since. Never saw any of the (laughs) other. We showed it to dad. Maybe you weren't there, but I showed it to dad at home for sure. Anyway, um, and um, they're bad. They're very bad. uh, But we're two in now so and i never saw bumblebee which was supposed to be good and i am and rise of the beast looks really funny to me in a dopey sort of way and it's not michael bay so that helps um so we'll see uh then there was a movie expiring on hulu that i had randomly on there probably because the word cult was in the description um called the other lamb which was very beautifully filmed it was a 2019 film um it 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 was very pretty uh that's about all i got to say about it it didn't really come together for me (laughs) um eric and i watched mission impossible rogue nation we will watch ghost protocol or whatever the next one is uh next week and then the new one comes out the week after that um so and it's fine they they continue to be they they sure are fine they Uh, fallout's the next one ghost protocol's the fourth one my bad. We already watched Ghost Protocol. Um, the, honestly, the only thing that stood out to me is that the ma- the female love interest question mark whatever um, wore a really spectacular yellow dress, which I did not think was like super like the most practical look to go with when you were assassinating the prime minister at the opera. But like, it did look very cool. I mean, you got to get it. You got to you got to fit in at the opera, right? I, I I think I think her character is incredible. Actually, like I really love her character in these movies. So I, I think the the introduction of her is was a big a big big reason why the later movies in the series have been so good. I think, but I liked her. Um, there was a point where they were like flirting, and and Eric was like, "He is definitely old enough to be her dad." So then I looked it up. She is a year older than me. I'm so old, um, and he is 19 years older than her. Anyway, um, and then Eric and I went, <laughs> and then Eric and I went to go see Elemental in theaters. Um, I had been hearing. You know, mostly like the trailers people had really negative feelings about and but I had seen a few tweets on Twitter as opposed to other places that one might see tweets. Um, I had seen a few tweets where with people talking about it being like an immigrant story that was clear, not clear in the trailers at all um, and that it was better than people were saying and like whatever. So um, so we went to go see it. Uh, the opening short is very stupid it's carl's date like and i was just like i you are relying one on me having a lot of affection for carl and doug in a movie that i don't like that much and haven't seen in so many years and two you already made a perfect short for film with carl why are you doing this this is it just feels stupid um but oh sorry <laughs> hit the wrong button um but elemental was okay it, it wasn't it wasn't amazing but i did tear up a few times um and it looked pretty um in terms of pixar my expectations are not very high right now i haven't like they have had turning red and that sort of things that i've really loved but they also had soul which i really didn't and like a lot of ones i feel like that have just not landed for me in a while this was okay this hit this was better than i expected for sure yeah they still have a higher hit rate than a lot of a lot of animation houses but they've gone from like a 90 percent hit rate to like a 50 percent hit rate in the last decade it's it really is kind of sad yeah and then we came home and we watched uh shazam fury of the gods because eric and i watch all of the dc movies um and i had kept putting off watching that movie largely because i had to see the trailers so many times (laughs) 
And the trailer looked so stupid. And the trailer is so stupid. Um, the movie was all right. It made me laugh a few times. I teared up once um, on a DC movie bar. Honestly, A+, because the or A, because the bar is so fucking low. Um, it wasn't terrible. And most of the trailers in like the first three minutes of the movie. So, um, so it was all right. It was better than I expected. Um, I'm trying to think of any TV. Uh, have you watched Shiny Happy People on Amazon? <laughs> uh, no, uh, it's uh, this kind of thing has come up before. It's not the kind of thing I watch. Like I, I, I'm glad it's out there. I think it's important. It's a thing that people need to learn about and stuff. Uh, but I don't. I, I just don't watch that kind of stuff. No, that's fair. Um, it is very good. Um, I know someone who's in the movie, so that's cool. I mean, from Twitter, but we, we've talked. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's good. Um, we, Eric and I celebrated our 10-year anniversary. Uh, one of the things we did was watch Shiny Happy People, and one of the, because that's very on brand for us. And one of the things we did was finish Ted Lasso, which we both fucking hated the ending of, so that is unfortunate. <laughs> My uh, for some reason the Apple TV app on my Roku thing will not play episodes anymore. It gets about forty seconds in and then it freezes. It had been giving me trouble, like it would as we were watching stuff, it would freeze up and we'd have to pause it for a couple minutes or whatever. Now it just will not get past the first couple minutes, and I can't figure out why. We have like four episodes of Ted Lasso left, and I don't know if we're ever going to finish it because I, I I have very mixed feelings about this season. Uh, and from what I've heard of. I don't know. I, I still want to finish it. Just I'd like to, you know, have watched the whole thing or whatever. But uh, it's it's been it's been a hell of a mixed bag this year. Have you tried uninstalling and reinstalling it? Yeah, I've tried everything. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what uh, the, the only thing we haven't tried, which we thought of, was trying to just watch it on a browser on the on the computer rather than through the Roku, because it's possible that the problem is with the Roku. Um, but most of, I mean, the other stuff's working fine. So I don't know weird we were having that issue for a while where it kept freezing and we had to pause it occasionally but it seems to have resolved itself so i don't know anyway um so yeah ted lasso morgan and i finally finished crazy ex-girlfriend um which we've been watching for the past year and a half basically um that's funny because uh may and i just watched the first episode of that last night <laughs> like i haven't seen it since i think i watched some of it with you but i never finished it i, I think i got I think I got through the end of season two, maybe like a couple episodes into season three, and I liked it, but I never did finish it. And yeah, the man and I were talking about it, and we started it up again. I don't know if we'll if we'll stick with it, but I did I did quite enjoy the first episode again. It's a great show. I I stand by it. Um, I think it's a great and and this was the first time I had rewatched the final season. Um, and it really. Uh, I, I think it really holds up. It's it's a really good ending. So also we started watching Secret Invasion. I don't know if you're watching that. I have not been. Um, I, I might still, but I'm. I don't know, man. the 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 more Marvel stuff I skip, the better it feels. <laughs> like I might, I might honestly just never go back to it. I don't know, or MCU stuff, I should say, because there are there are notable exceptions, as I will talk about here in a few minutes follow your bliss man whatever works for you okay i think that's all i got okay so i have several things including a bunch of new stuff so shortly after we recorded the last time i believe uh, i went to see you hurt my feelings which is the new nicole hall of center movie with uh with julia louis dreyfus um, we've talked extensively about Nicole Hall of Center on here because we covered one of her movies several months ago. Um, you Hurt My Feelings is great. It's so funny. G. Louis-Dreyfus Louis is hilarious. It's it's like a very funny concept. Like, the, Do you know what it's about, the basic plot of it? 
I've seen the trailer. I really wanted to go see it in theaters, and we just we just didn't. Oh, it's, get it. yeah, it's just it's gone. It's not the kind of movie that's going to be around for a long time. But yeah, the basic premise is that this this she plays this woman who's she's an author. She's trying to get her second book published, and she finds out sort of accidentally that her husband does not particularly care for her second book, even though he's been like reading it as she's writing it and telling her that it's great and all this stuff. So it kind of it throws this crazy kink into their not kink in that sense but you know what i mean he throws a wrench into their whole relationship and she's freaking out about it and there's the whole movie is about you know um how navigating relationships and you know honesty in relationships and what is actually the the better approach in terms of trying to protect each other's feelings and all this stuff and it's all very funny uh nicole hall center is very good at like observing human relationships and depicting them in very interesting ways and uh um it has michaela watkins who's been in other stuff of hers i always like her and uh um yeah uh, i really enjoyed it really funny movie um i'm really looking forward to getting to it <laughs> i just haven't yet it'll probably hit streaming pretty soon if it hasn't already um but yeah uh let's see then i, <laughs> I went to see the boogeyman um Mostly just because I had like I had a night with nothing to do and like it wasn't really one I had planned on seeing. I hadn't really heard much about it. Um, but it is a Stephen King adaptation, which are certainly not always great. But I do like Stephen King, so I'm always like curious about adaptations of his stuff. And I didn't. I found out later I have apparently actually read this story because it's in a collection of his that I read, but that was years ago. I don't remember it. Uh, at any rate, um, it was okay. It was basically exactly what you would expect a movie called The Boogeyman to be. <laughs> like it's it's this like uh um these two like teenage girl and her younger sister whose mother dies unexpectedly and their father is you know too caught up in the grief to realize what's going on and there's this weird monster that starts showing up and it it basically plays out exactly how you might think it would there's some cool like visual stuff there's some interesting like stylistic stuff but the the design of the monster is kind of cool when you see it you don't see a whole lot of it unsurprisingly um yeah it it, it, it was fine I, I doubt i'll ever watch it again i wouldn't necessarily say anyone else needs to watch it um i'm also working my way through mission impossible again i watched ghost protocol which i think might be my least favorite other than the second one of course um there's some really good stuff in it It has the burj khalifa climbing scene which is like one of the most impressive of the whole like stunt showcase things in the whole series um but it also has a lot of like, and, and there's there's some really cool like like the the whole like heist sequence of them breaking into the Kremlin is cool. They have that weird like that screen that like projects the the wall behind them to make it look like they're not there. The, all that gadgetry stuff is kind of cool, but it's also like I think they kind of overplay it in this movie. Some of it leans way too far into the like cheesy James Bond side of things. The whole thing with Jeremy Renner and his weird magnet suit that let him float through the air I thought was kind of dumb. I thought it was all so dumb. <laughs> I thought a lot of it was fun, but a lot of it leaned too far into the into the silly. And also, it has uh, Leah Seydoux, who I'd completely forgotten was in it, and it totally wastes her. Her character is supposed to be like this ruthless, internationally feared assassin who has been like taking out top level agents all over the world, and like. And then we we have a fight scene with her where she there, there's just nothing impressive about her when we actually see her. Like it's it it felt like a waste. Uh, and she's a great actress. So I was kind of, when I realized it was her playing this role, I was like, man, I can't believe I don't remember this. Like, this is going to be great. And then it, I understood immediately why I didn't remember it, because it was not memorable. 
Um, so the next thing I watched was a thing that was on Mubi called The Five Devils, um, which has, uh, oh man, I have no idea how to say her name, but Leah Seydoux's co-star from Blue is the Warmest Color, <laughs> Blue is the Warmest Color, it's, it's Adele Exarchopolo, maybe? I don't know. Uh, it's too many syllables. I don't know. How, I don't know where the emphasis goes. I have no idea. Um, it's an interesting movie, but about it. It's kind of this magical realism thing going on where the uh, her her daughter has this weird ability to like. She has this like supernatural sense of smell, essentially, and her the and her her, her the main character's sister in law the the girl's aunt comes to stay with them and she discovers this the girl discovers this thing while going through her aunt's luggage that when she smells it she essentially is transported back in time and is able to see events from her aunt's younger days and her mother is there too and they have this whole history that is kind of unfolded through these things and it's kind of a cool idea it's interesting but the it 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 didn't totally come together. I felt like the aunt the the aunt 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 I I go fifty fifty on how to pronounce that whatever. Her character is really like underserved. I think we don't really we never really learn enough about her, and she's the more interesting character versus the Adele blah, blah, blah's character. Um. So anyway, it it ended up being like there's some really interesting stuff about it. So there's some good performances, but it, it was not like a totally satisfying movie. Um, then I went to see Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, uh, which blew my mind. I, I've talked before about how much I loved Into the Spider-Verse, uh, and I I honestly think this movie's better, which I, did, I, I really didn't think that was possible. Like, I was really afraid it was going to be a letdown after that first one. But it's so fucking good. Everything about it is so good. The like literally from the first frames, the first bits of sound, you have that the drumming thing going on in that opening narration. That's so good. And you know, I I, I talked. I think I talked on here, and I've definitely talked before about how one of the things I love about the first one so much is that the whole climactic sequence is this this crazy collision of stuff that would be completely impossible to do in live action. Like, it literally could not be done in live action. I've never seen an animated movie that makes more use of the fact that it is an animated movie than, like, the last 15 minutes of Into the Spider-Verse. But the whole movie of Across the Spider-Verse is like that. <laughs> like, there, there are bits and pieces of it, aside from the finale and Into the Spider-Verse, that do the same thing. But the entire movie of Across the Spider-Verse is like that. Like, it's just mind-blowing all the way through. It's so good. The story is so good. It's so, like, moving and fun and... I just adore it. I went to see it twice. I really want to go see it again. Uh, I don't know if I'll get a chance before it comes out again, uh, before it leaves the theater. But, um, you know, there's a lot of big stuff coming out over the next few weeks, so it's probably going to get bumped out. But I loved it so much. I, I, I gave it 9 out of 10 after the first time I saw it, and I bumped it up to a 10 out of 10 after the second time. So, And supposedly we're getting a third one in less than a year. Uh, we'll see if that actually happens there's, I don't know if you've heard, there's been some, uh, some reports of, of not good working conditions for the animators of these movies. And also, of course, we have a writer strike happening. So depending on what state the movie's currently in, it might get pushed back by that. Um, but incredible movie. Uh, like at this, at this point, I have a hard time imagining that it won't be my favorite movie of the year. 
we'll, we'll see. Obviously, we got a long way to go, but I have a hard time imagining anything topping it. Um, it was great. Uh, another movie thing. Um, I watched, uh, what's his name? Todd Haynes Safe. I don't know. If, have you seen that one? I have not seen it, but I know what it is. So uh, it's a great movie. It's like. It feels it's it's like a weirdly sort of timeless movie. I can't believe this movie is almost 30 years old. Like it's 95. This movie came out and it feels very much like something that could be made today. Like it's the, the, the main character. It's uh, Julianne Moore, who is one of my favorite actresses, plays this woman who like. Basically, she just like she's this very rich, like you know, wealthy, privileged woman uh, who basically just like starts feeling sick one day, and just like keeps getting more and more sick, and she isn't getting better, and she can't figure out what's wrong, and she ends up getting involved in what essentially is a cult that is pushing this like um, the modern world is unhealthy, like in a literal medical sense. People are having allergic reactions to all the electricity in the air and, you know, the chemicals in the food and all of this stuff. So she ends up kind of getting drawn into that. Uh, and it everything about it just feels like something that could like this movie could have come out yesterday and it would have. <laughs> it's, just, it's just it's stunning, honestly. And Julianne Moore is so fucking good. She's always great, but she's so good in this movie. Um, and Todd Haynes is, uh, you know, he he hasn't had a lot of movies, but. Obviously, Carol is a great movie. I think that's probably his best known one. But uh, yeah, this one is definitely worth definitely worth seeking out. Um, and they had it they had it up on movie, but I think it's gone now. Um, but definitely worth seeking out if you get a chance. A um, uh, handful of rewatches in a row here. Uh, I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of just on a whim because it was like the day after the critics saw the new one, so everyone was talking about the series on Twitter and stuff. So I was just thinking about it. I rewatched Raiders. Uh, probably the best adventure movie ever made. I still love that movie. Haven't seen the new one yet. Jumping ahead here a little bit. I'll probably see it eventually, but I don't know. Uh, Rewatch Lilo and Stitch, um, which I have seen many times now. I've talked about it on here before. It's probably May's favorite movie, so we watch it every once in a while. But there's, I, I like that movie more and more. Like I really liked it as a kid, but I feel like I like it more and more watching it as an adult. There's a really interesting, like, there's like a really like in-depth profound sadness to Lilo's character in that movie that is not something you see in a lot of Disney movies. And it, it really like, there are things about it that don't totally work about the movie, but the, the character stuff is so good that it holds it all together really well. Um, watched game night again, which I've talked about many times on here. That's uh, yeah. Uh, I don't need to go into that one again. Uh, and rewatched inside man, Spike Lee's inside man, which I hadn't seen in years really liked. I bought it a long time ago, but I hadn't rewatched it. It's, it, I, I still think it's great. It's a really, I, I really like a good heist movie, you know. Um, there's interesting stuff going on that I didn't remember th- with, like, Denzel Washington's character is, like, maybe a crooked cop. <laughs> he has this whole thing where he's being investigated for this, like, check fraud thing that supposedly some money had disappeared during the investigation and he's the obvious suspect. Um, I don't think we ever really find out for sure whether he did it. I kind of, I, I kind of think the movie leaned a little too far into that he didn't and i think it maybe would have been more interesting if he had but um but there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on in that movie on top of it just being like a really fun like heist procedural kind of thing and clive owen as the 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 master criminal is really good and yeah really good movie not one of not one of spike lee's like 
not one of his more, uh, um, I guess, like sort of societally uh, significant movies probably but it's probably one of his most fun movies and there is also like it's not pure fun there's there's some significant stuff going on in that movie too um past lives i'm going to go see it tomorrow i'm really excited it's so fucking good it's uh, all the good things you've been hearing about are true it's so good um there's it a lot of people have, have compared it to the before movies and that that is particularly the second one because you know it's like these characters reconnecting after having had this connection when they were younger um and th- th- so there definitely is some of that and that is for me at least that is very high praise to make that connection um the I, i'm not uh, celine song this is her first uh movie as a director i don't know what she's been doing with her life up until now but um just fantastic one of the things that really struck me about this movie that like i was not expecting at all i don't know how many i don't know how many movies i've seen that are set at least partly in new york city hundreds at least right that's like probably the most common setting for american movies other than maybe la i'm sure new york's more common than la probably so i've probably seen hundreds and hundreds of them and i don't know that i've ever seen a movie that like really really impressed me with like the size of New York city's architecture, the way this movie did like, and I've been there. Like <laughs> there's, I, 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 ooh, I think it's the Brooklyn bridge. It's one of the big bridges. I'm not totally sure, but there are shots of it in this movie that are like, it just looks, it looks like something from another planet. It just looks massive. And like, I've seen it in person and I don't remember thinking it looked that massive. Like, I don't know. So, so it's like, that's not the kind of thing you expect from, this like extremely low budget, like small scale personal drama. Right. And it's like the fourth most interesting thing going on in the movie, but it's still so good. Like, so that there's, there's so many layers of good stuff going on in this movie. There's, there's a shot towards the end of this movie. Like there's a cut that literally took my breath away. I literally like (gasps) in the theater, like (laughs) it's, it's, it's the kind of thing that like, you could only do in a movie, right? Like that is editing is the, the aspect of filmmaking that is unique. Like you can't do that anywhere in any other medium. Right. And there's things you can do with it that can just be incredible. And it's such a beautiful movie. I'm very excited to watch it more. Uh, I'm very glad that a 24 is, is releasing movies like this in wide release. Like this is not the kind of movie that would have gotten a wide theatrical release from just about anyone else. I know it's like, it's gotten to the point now where everyone kind of rolls their eyes at, at film people praising a 24 to the skies. And that's not entirely unreasonable, but like, cause obviously not everything they do is great and they're not a production company. They're people talk about them. Like they're making these movies and they don't, they're a distribution company, but like who else is going to put out movies like this? Uh, you know, and they, you know, they have people make fun of like the a 24 horror thing, which is maybe a little bit overdone. Although I think most of them are really good. But that's that's how they're making their nut, right? And they're using that money to then put movies like Past Lives out in the yep, regal, yep, yep. regal cinemas in Bellingham, right? Like that's, they're doing they're doing the thing that we want everyone to be doing, right? So anyway, that's that's a whole other topic. But I get a little touchy about people making fun of a twenty four. No hard feelings. Fucking great movie. At this point, any other year would be my number one of the year. 
after did i i think i just said i did say no hard feelings which is the next movie on my list which is what i was looking at which is why i said that yeah no hard feelings is not that good uh it has its moments it has some funny stuff uh it is you know it's like it's good to see jennifer lawrence back in like lead roles i still really like her she's funny um, and the the main kid in it, uh, who is an actor that I was not familiar with, and his name is Andrew Barth Feldman, is also quite good. And like the the two of them have pretty good chemistry, I thought. But it's it's a pretty forgettable movie. Like I, I think it would have been they give Jennifer Lawrence's character this whole like tragic backstory of why she's doing what she's doing, and I think it would have been better if they hadn't, if she had just been kind of a jerk. <laughs> like, I think it would have been a funnier, more interesting movie. Um, I just found the trailer so gross. I just like nothing in them made me laugh at all. Or it just, I, yeah, not my thing. I don't think. Yeah. You know, if it had had anyone else in it, I probably wouldn't have bothered. And I doubt I'll ever watch it again, but it was, it was fun. Uh, so then I watched, um, another movie thing here. I, I never know if it's cash or cachet. I also um, do not know. I think it's cachet because there's an accent mark over the E, which usually means you pronounce it. Uh, Michael Haneke's uh, 2005 movie, which I did not have the ideal viewing experience in this because I ended up having to watch it in two parts, like five days apart. <laughs> I started it one morning thinking I had time. I got about an hour into it, had to stop it and wasn't able to get back to it until yesterday morning. <laughs> so not the ideal viewing experience, but it's a really fucking good movie. Um, and there was... Again, this movie also had... There's a shot in this movie that made me literally gasp out loud. Like, just shocked me in a completely different way from what from the one in past lives. Um, but it's about this, this, like, married couple in... I think they're in Paris, somewhere in France, who start getting videotapes on their doorstep. Initially, the first one is just, like, a videotape. It's like a static shot taken of the outside of their apartment that goes on for, like, an hour. And they have no idea where it came from. Or what the deal is. And they keep getting more of these that show more and more things. They get one that shows the house the husband grew up in. And they start coming with like sort of weird childish drawings that are like gruesome. And that's the, like they're trying to figure it out. It gets into like the husband has this kind of suspicious thing in his backstory. And it it kind of exposes the cracks in their marriage and all this stuff. It's a really interesting movie. I don't know how you feel about Michael Haneke in general. I I, I don't love all his stuff. But his stuff that works tends to really work for me. I think that I admire him more than like him. I'm not sure that I've ever seen one of his movies that like really like hit that space for me. But I mean, he's certainly very skillful. Uh, yeah. Uh, Amor is the one that really worked for me. I loved that movie. Although that one is definitely a, a less um, uh, abrasive, I think, than his stuff usually is. Uh, but at any rate, uh, he's he's a very interesting director at the very least. Um, and Caché is like... Probably his his most famous one of his most famous movies anyway, uh, and it's it, yeah really good definitely worth checking out. Um, and then yesterday I went to see Asteroid City. We're going to go see that today. Uh, I loved it. I really really liked it. Like, I, and I was that was quite a relief to me because I had very mixed feelings about the French Dispatch, and I really didn't care for uh, Isle of Dogs, um, which I think was the one right before that. So, um, I've been a little bit on a, a downswing with Wes Anderson over the last few years. Um, but I, I really like this one. So this one, one of my favorite things that like feelings that a movie can leave me with when I, when the credits roll is like, I don't feel like I totally understood that, but I'm really excited to like watch it more and like maybe figure out some more about it and maybe not, maybe just like keep not understanding it, but I really want to watch it again. I've never had that feeling from a Wes Anderson movie before though, but this one gave me that. 
um, really interesting, really good. Uh, Jason Schwartzman is kind of the lead role, I guess. Who's the lead role in a Wes Anderson movie? <laughs> he's, I think he's probably the lead. Really fucking good. Um, and it has, it has this kind of like double layered story thing going on where it's like set up as a presentation of a fictional famous play. So that's what the asteroid city stuff is. But there's this other stuff where it's showing like the guy who wrote the play and it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be like a television presentation giving you the whole backstory of the play as well as the play itself. So we have like uh, Edward Norton is playing the guy who wrote the, the, the play. And we see some people like, as they're, you know, in the play, Jason Schwartzman in particular, we see him as the actor who is cast in the play. And also we see him as the character in the play. And the, Tom Hanks is in this one, which I think is the first time he's been in a Wes Anderson movie. And obviously he's really good. Um, and it also has like a sci-fi element <laughs> before, which I don't think Wes Anderson has ever done before. Um, so, yeah, I really liked it. I don't know what you'll think about it. I know you're you're less high on him in general than I am, I think. Um, but I, I really loved it. That said, I I did love Moonrise Kingdom, so it is possible for me to love a Wes Anderson movie. Obviously, I am going into it with the hope that I will love it. That this little bit, I was so fucking bored by the French Dispatch. I hated it, and I also really didn't like Isle of Dogs. Like the only Wes Anderson movie I have ever loved is Moonrise Kingdom. And most of the rest of them, I barely like. So, like, so I don't know. We'll see. My favorite is still Grand Budapest. I have a hard time imagining anything ever topping that one. I fucking love that movie. Uh, but I also really loved Moonrise Kingdom. Um, and but Moonrise Rushmore. Ki- I really love Rushmore, too. Moonrise Kingdom has the children element to it. Uh, this movie does have, like, one of the main characters is Jason Schwartzman's son, and there's a lot of stuff with him. So that may, we'll see how far that goes for you. <laughs> there's a little bit. It's not s- strictly about kids the way that Moonrise Kingdom was, but there's more stuff with teenagers. So maybe that'll get you through. I don't know. Uh, okay, so that's all I got for movies. Um, real quick for TV. Uh, I finally am, I'm a year behind on this, but I finally started watching The Bear. Uh, it was like, did you watch it? I watched the first season with Morgan. We watched it in like two days. Is the most stressful experience in my life, but it's so fucking good. We haven't gotten to the second season yet. Yeah, so I, I saw the second season was coming up, which is what reminded me of it. It was one of those things that when it first came out, I saw some ads for it and stuff, and I couldn't figure out what it... I, I legitimately, from the way they were advertising it, I couldn't figure out if it was a reality show or a scripted show. It was like, is this a reality show set in a restaurant? Because I didn't recognize any of the people in it. And like, I had no idea what... And then I started seeing tweets about it and stuff and people were so in love with it, but I just didn't have time for it. But I've had a little more time lately. So I also blasted through the first season, which is so fucking good. I mean, obviously everyone talks about the the episode with the, um, where they do the, they, they turn on the online ordering and it's like the whole thing is done in one take. And that is, I mean, one of the most like breathtaking pieces of television I've ever seen. It's so good. And, you know, you get these great performances that are just, absolutely like launched to the highest level by that episode and then like the rest of the season dealing with the fallout from the disaster that that experience was for everyone so good uh i'm i'm about halfway through the second season uh this the second season also i mean i won't i won't go into details because you're you're getting to it but there's an episode i think it's episode five or six of the second season um that I had to watch into I had to break it in <laughs> into two parts. It's an hour long episode, so that's part of it. But um 
Yeah, I, w- I won't tell you anything about it. I'll let you. I'll let you get to it. You may have heard some stuff about it by now, but um, but it's. I mean, it's just. It's incredible. I, I the the main character in the show is. I don't feel like I've ever seen a character like him. Like he's he's this very like sort of serious guy. He doesn't really seem to have much of a sense of humor, but like he's a he's like a good person. Like in a way that I feel like it's kind of rare in in protagonist in tv these days he's like a genuinely good person who is concerned about the way he treats other people and like but which you know that doesn't sound like the most compelling thing in the world <laughs> inherently but he plays it so well i can't remember the actor's name i should i should know it but um i guess he had been around a little bit what was it he was in something before this that people knew him from but i didn't know him i had never seen him before um but he's he's so good and he his name is jeremy allen white there you go what was the show that he was in before this he was in something that people knew him from. uh looks like he was in shameless that was it yeah which i never i never watched um but yeah the the ev- everything about this show works so well like all of the restaurant like sort of uh behind the scenes restaurant stuff i've had to like google a bunch of jargon stuff because I was like what does it mean when a chef is yelling hands i have no i had to google it i didn't know and they don't they don't they don't slow down to explain any of that stuff for you right so but it's it's all so well done and like really intense and cool and then the you know the the interpersonal drama is all so good i mean the the main character dealing with this ter- like really terrible grief and like still trying to like hold the the it has a lot of like trying to maintain the balance between like keeping up his responsibilities to the other people who he is genuinely responsible for and also like take care of himself and actually keep his own life functioning. And it's so good. I mean, I know, like I said, I know I'm a year, a year late on this and everyone else watched the first season months ago, but it's so good. I'm really into season two. Uh, I think it is, it has kept the ball in the air incredibly well. Um, and also Oliver Platt is in it. <laughs> and so far he's been in season two more than he was in season one, which can only help. Um, I think the only other thing is I finally started watching season three of Remy, which I talked about the first couple seasons when I watched that. But season three has been up for a long time, but I hadn't really had time to get around to it. Um, uh, Remy Yusuf's sees a stand-up comic and he has this show about a uh, fictionalized version of himself, I guess. Well, it's not quite, it's kind of, I don't know why he named the character, he gave the character his name, because it's not like Louis, where it's just him, he's not a comic in the show, <laughs> like, it's, I don't know if that was a thing that the, the network wanted, or if he thought it would sell better that way, or what, I don't know, but at any rate, is is this uh, child of Egyptian immigrants, and, uh, you know, he had, basically his whole life fell apart at the end of season two, because he fucked everything up, so now he's... Uh, dealing with that in season three and it's all really good i really love that show um i think i think that's all i think i'm finally done all right look at you having more stuff than me i've been right that's twice in a row i think because you've just been you've had so much going on i've had so much going on and i've been so stressed that i just like can't choose movies and tv shows a lot of the time and i just end up playing dreamlight valley for four hours instead so um and there's there's not that much to talk about with dreamlight valley i mean i'm very excited about it and could talk about it but there's no reason to do that here and my dog is losing his shit so um okay so are we just agreeing that we're gonna do mean creek next uh, and i think i think we have to i'm not i don't feel prepared to (laughs) to, i don't know if i ever will but i do not feel prepared to do the stony of sir i am I will have Morgan look for it on Plex 
and see if we can find it for future. Yeah, days. right. Let's see if we can see if it is even possible to watch it. I guess before we. But I'd hate to have to like buy a used DVD of it or something like that. But I don't. Know. I would also hate that. Okay, well, we will talk to y'all in some amount of time. Could be a couple of weeks. Who can say? Honestly, it's a mystery. Hopefully, not more than a month, but no promises. <laughs> we do our best. All right, bye everyone. Bye everyone. <laughs>